Hello, this is Steve from Retroman Blog, and welcome to this uh, new uh, sort of series of podcasts that I was uh, thinking of over this lockdown. To it's sort of like a desert island discs, I suppose, and uh, nicked from all these sort of best of top ten albums and things that people have been doing to keep occupied over the lockdown. I suddenly had this little idea of utilising Zoom, trying to get with this modern technology, and um, getting some people into a virtual pod, virtual studio, and uh, getting the lockdown lowdown. Um, for your so when, when are you going to get the celebrities? Well, you, you're my test, mate. You're my test. So let me introduce my, my very first uh, bit, um, uh, guest. Uh, this is Mr. Brett Buddy Ascot, legendary drummer. of the uh, A.K.A. guinea pig. Guinea pig, yes, yes, which we talked about off air, but we won't go into that one. Well, we were talking about the sexual proclivities of guinea pigs. Yes, yes, yeah, but that, I have to, I'll scrub that one. We'll, we'll, we'll do that on the on, a, on another podcast at a later Can we day. have a mammalian rock and roll show? Yeah, yeah. So, can I finish, please, um, special guest? This is um, Mr. Brett Buddy Ascot, drummer with The Chords, and currently The Fallen Leaves, and um, formerly of many, many other bands um, that we've listed before in various podcasts. It's taken a whole episode to get through most of the bands that he's been in. Um, so, hi, Buddy. Good to see you after such a long time. How are you coping? Yeah, um, well, um, it's very strange, isn't it? And um, the oddest thing is that every day seems to last forever, but the weeks and the months are just racing by. Because yeah. every day is the same, I suppose. Yeah, it's a good point, isn't it? You know, it's, it's sort of already coming up to June, you know. It, I thought I'd sit this, you know, kicking my heels at home, but it, it sort of time flies. And hopefully, uh, soon enough, we'll be back to seeing you play gigs. Behind the drum but you're board. looking well, Steve. You're looking well. Thank you. That's good to hear. I'm keeping occupied. <laughs> so are you, mate. Well, you know, let's, I just thought we'd just sort of get a little uh, bit of uh, information, like a sort of Q&A session. We'll, we'll pick a few songs and things along the way and throw in anything that you want. So, buddy, what I was um, starting off with, what was your earliest musical moment as a kid? What was the thing that sort of sparked you off on this long road of rock and roll? Well, luckily for you and I, one of the things I've been doing during the lockdown is I have actually finished the first two chapters of my long threatened memoir. And so I've been been going through a lot of diaries and photographs. And so this is a relatively easy exercise for me today because a lot of this is kind of fresh in my mind. And um, as an early musical memory, it's... it's a kind of a, 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 a groundbreaking moment. It's probably about 1974, 1973. Yeah. And I was at a fun fair on Bromley Common. And I was on one of those, um, what do they call those, those rides where the, the cups go flying? There's sort of four on a central. I, I know what you mean, but yeah, yeah. Yeah, and they go flying around. They get faster and faster. And then some six-fingered... Uh, ne'er do well comes over and spins it three times faster yeah. and everybody screams and we were on this whatever you call it I don't think it's a world it's a and the speakers were playing David Bowie's Gene Genie at an ear shattering volume and every time the, the the ride took me into that corner by the speaker it was so exhilarating I've never really felt the power that the the muscularity of music like that before. Hmm. It was deafening, but so exciting. 
yeah. coupled with the experience. Wow. And I was naked, obviously. <laughs> and um, <laughs> well, yeah, that was that. That has never left me. That feeling. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah, that's that's quite good, isn't it? Because you've got the physical and the and the, the musical yeah. in one, you know. But uh, yeah, that must have been quite amazing, actually. Have you ever tried to relive that again, like by wearing? No, that? no. And the, the odd thing is that I, I didn't like Bowie. I found Bowie up up until getting a lad insane. I found him too frightening and a drun, a drun, a, a drun. How do you say it? Androgynous. That's the word. Thank you. <laughs> Amphibious and. Um, he sort of freaked me out a bit. He's a bit of a mystery. So the whole glam thing left me really cold. That's why I sort of went back to the Beatles and the Stones and the Kings and the Hope. How old were you at the time? Um, 27, I think. <laughs> Probably um, 14, 15. Hadn't been kissed, seriously, <laughs> literally. And then, so, yeah, Gene Gene is a good, uh, a good starting point, isn't it? Because it's, it's, a, it's a great glam racket isn't it you know i mean it's it, it is. is have you seen that bound footage from the bbc of them doing it live on top of the pops yeah yeah it's one of the best uh, it's the just best, astonishing you know. isn't it yeah, what a great track you know. i don't know how they mic'd up the drum kit with two microphones it just sounds fantastic yeah, yeah. i thought they must be miming but they're not yeah it's a, it's a, that's a great uh, that's a great tv moment isn't it you know. All well, it's missing is it, it's just missing a Wurlitzer, really, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I can just imagine the video, you know. <laughs> right, well, there we are. A, a young, young buddy Ascot being flung around this Wurlitzer, or whatever you call it, to the sounds of Gene Genie. So what was the first record you bought with your own money? Now, the first record I bought with my own money, which would have been the only... We didn't have any records in our house apart from South Pacific and um, Handel's Messiah. <laughs> Hallelujah. Um, do you remember the Red Bus Rover? No. OK, this was, <laughs> this was before all-day uh, travel cards. Yeah. It was very exciting. You could buy what, what was called a red bus rover. I'm sure somebody like Jeffrey Mundy remembers it. He's probably got, he's probably got all his, Jeff, you know, he's a bit of a collector. Um, this would take you right across London for about two and six, which for anyone under the age of 50 listening is about 25p, I think. Yeah. So this was so exciting. It opened up the whole of the capital to you. Yeah. And every year on my birthday, me and my brother would take these red bus rover tickets and jump on a bus and find ourselves in London and just get off a bus and then change bus stop, change buses at the bus stop and just, and we ended up at Harrods. Ooh. 
in, in Knightsbridge, that, that Harrods, not the other one. <laughs> and um, I bought the Golden Hour of the Kinks. Because wow. Golden Hour records were very, very cheap. Yeah. Cheap compilations. But the, the authentic tracks, you know, they weren't re-recorded or anything. Yeah. And that's all I could afford with my pocket money. And it had all of their hits. It's absolutely fantastic album. You still have it? Yeah, I've still got it. Yeah, great. Yeah. And, and what, so what, um, what inspired you to go and buy a Kinks album? What, what did you... Had you I don't know. I think I'd probably heard Sunny Afternoon, uh, probably knew Lola. Didn't, I mean, I, did, I didn't have any musical education or nobody mentoring me. It was just, uh, just discovering what I, what I could. Yeah. My, my older brother didn't have any interest in music, still hasn't really. Yeah. Um, so it, it was just just going into Harrods, oh, I must buy something, I'll buy an album, I've heard of these, I've heard of that track, and that was it. Um, so, what? I mean, if you're going to pick a song, I know it's difficult with the kinks, but um, we're all just trying to narrow this down a little bit, so pick a song from this album. Oh, I think, I think in the current climate, it would have to be Dead End Street. Was there something that sort of drew you into more of the dark side of alternative rock or punk? Or was there anything that you remember that actually said, hang on a minute, I've had enough of pop frivolities, now I want to get into some serious music? Was there anything that sort of inspired you? Yeah, yeah, you're right. Because there was, there was that kind of pop rock single album split then, wasn't there? Yeah. You, you were either a teeny bopper or a hairy, <laughs> hairy rocker. Um, <laughs> I think the first time I saw the Sex Pistols, which was on the London weekend show, and because it was Sunday lunchtime, it's such an incongruous time to see this threatening, spittle-flecked mound of fury and menace 
I mean, the, 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 whole, the whole thing was amazing. It was filmed at Notre Dame Hall, which I think is now the Leicester Square Theatre. And there weren't many people in the audience. I think Jordan's there and there's a couple, couple of punks down the front. There's probably about 50 people in the audience, as I remember it. Yeah. But they absolutely transfixed me. They frightened me, inspired me, and I just, I just couldn't take my eyes off them. Yeah. And I think that was the Sunday before the Grundy programme, which was Thursday oh, night, if I, yeah. if I remember. Okay. So I'd seen their pictures in the paper and I'd read the interviews, but I couldn't imagine what they looked like, you know, it, in action on stage. I'd, I'd never seen anything like it and I loved it. It was London Weekend Show, Janet Street Porter, and I'd, I'd be on the programme myself within three years when they did a mod special. Okay. Again with Janet Street Porter. Yeah. And then, and then, as I say, four days later, I, I was watching them on the Bill Grundy programme. And you um, that live, the Bill Grundy? I watched it live. And right. my dad walked in, came home from work with my brother, and they opened the door just as the swearing started. And I thought, oh, I'm really going to be in trouble here. Because my dad at this stage must have been 85. Go, go, go with the idea that yeah. he was ancient when I was born. <laughs> and um, he never swore. And he, he, I mean, believe me, he's not religious. But um, I thought he would be shocked. Mm. And he stood there and he laughed. He just yeah. kept laughing at it. I thought you were going to say he was the guy that famously kicked in the TV. No, yeah, I mean, I remember that bloke in the sun. Yeah. I was so disgusted, I put my boot through the screen. Yeah. It must have been really quite shocking because there was... I think I've only... Famously, the, the F word had only been used once on TV before by Kenneth Tynan in the 60s, I think. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, 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 yeah. You dirty rotter. <laughs> you dirty rotter. <laughs> I mean, where did he get that word from? You yeah, if you're going to say something. But that's the sort of... I remember Paul Cook had a Union Jack T-shirt on um, and Steve Jones had that sort of handkerchief on his head, like a, a Brit down at the seaside. Oh, right. Um, I think they did I think they did Pretty Vacant. Oh, I think, yeah, yeah I know. I think I know the one you mean. Yeah, was that, would you go with Pretty Vacant? What, what sort of pistol song would you, would you sort of pick out? Is that... Oh, I, I really like Problems. Problems, interesting. Yeah. Another one that's quite apt for today.
I think never mind the bollocks. It was one of those albums. I have these sort of standards of, of, with, with records where it's very rare that you get what I would call a perfect album. I know it's all, this is all subjective, obviously, but, you know, where I, I've got, obviously we love we're great music fans, you know, you've got your favourite bands, bands you like, but even if I'm honest, a lot of my favourite bands, it's very rare that, that a whole album can be what I would call perfect, where there's no filler, you don't skip a track, where the artwork and the production and the, and, and the, the feel of it and everything just sort of works. I think never mind. You, the just, you just have to say Yellow Submarine on Revolver. <laughs> Okay. And anyone would understand what you're talking about. <laughs> That's right. There's, 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 it's very rare that, if you, in all honesty, if every fan, no matter how much you love a band, just seriously look at their, the, the back catalogue and look at an album where you can say, I will play that. Don't skip a track. Never rush and yeah. jump and move the needle over. Or um, I think Never Mind the Bollocks is a good case where I just think it, it's perfect. You know, I mean, the sound, that raw sound. Uh, that, I'd, I'd, I'd sort of agree that bollocks. there's... There's, there's not a duff track on it, but by the time it came out, I think four of the tracks had been singles. So it almost felt like a greatest hits already. Yeah, that's a good, that's a good point, you know. But, um, so there, I think there are only six or seven new songs to hear. Yeah. Uh, not new, but, you know, um, new recordings. And so I, I, I think it, for me, I don't think it was as influential as the first Clash album. Yeah. Which was, was, which was like nothing you'd ever heard, especially yeah. the production. I mean, is there any albums that you would hold up as a as a sort of perfect album? Well, well it, I mean, it would have been Who's Next, except for the John Entwistle song on it, which <laughs> is 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 skippable, shall we say? Um, yeah, so, but, yeah, but sometimes you might be able to slip a little credit there, you know, because he. I'll, I'll take Quadrophenia. Quadrophenia by the Who. Yeah, I mean, even though the production, the original production is a little bit muddy, the mix, um, but the artwork, the whole package, everything is yeah. exceptional.
And then a couple of albums since then, Damien will be pleased to hear this, Kemi Crazy by That Petrol Emotion. Yeah, yeah. Which, which yeah, Damien's told me that he doesn't like the production by Scott Litt, mm. R.E.M. fame. But I, I, I mean, it's, it is poppier, it is clearer and cleaner than their other albums. Yeah. But I think the songwriting and the playing and just the songs generally are fantastic. I hope you're going to play Sensitize. Well, this is your podcast, mate. I'll play what you want to play. <laughs> Okay, well, I've got, I've got another album which I consider perfect. 
I'd give it a perfect 10. And this is really a bit of a curveball. Yeah. Do you remember a band called The Thrills? Oh, yeah, yes. They're an Irish band. They were an Irish band. And their first album was a kind of breakthrough hit. It was a bit sort of uh, West Coast. No, not psychedelic, but like the birds and... Yeah. Great singer, Mm. called Connor. Connor DC or something. But then the second album, that difficult second album, is called Let's Bottle Bohemia. Okay, I don't know, yeah. And it might lose a tenth of a point for the cover, which is pretty rubbish. But there are ten tracks, and they are just outstanding. There's, there's, there's not a single track on there that I wouldn't want to keep hearing for the rest of my life. The strings were arranged by Van Dyke Parks, and Peter Buck plays mandolin on one track. Oh, wow. Oh, okay. So, so they had all this going for them. This was number one in Ireland, this album. Mm. And it, I think it was, it was only on the chart here for a month. And then they made one more album, which is also great, and they disappeared. I, I don't understand. He's a brilliant singer. They were... Great group. They were great live. Mm. Saw them at Hammersmith. Give me a thrills track that you would say to me, Steve, uh, this is it. Steve, play this song. The melody will make your heart melt. It's called Found My Rosebud. I don't mind if I hurt you, if I hurt you, if I hurt you, and leave this guilt behind. I'm 
what about a single? Is it like a 45 that you've got in your collection that, that you, you just think this is the ultimate? What a pop single. I mean, I'm saying pop as in it can be anything from. Okay, well, I mean, there's so many. Yeah, of course. That's a really, that's a really big ask. Um, say, say a Little Prayer by Aretha Franklin, which I never, ever get tired of hearing. Um, and then Honolulu Boogie by Mott the Hoople. But but the song which always makes me drive faster, which always has me singing along, especially in the middle eight, is by the Lightning Seeds. And it's called Pure. Oh yeah, yeah, great. Well, let's hear it's that. It's really odd. It's a, it's it's a strange thing. I don't even know if they're real drums. It sounds like real drums, but uh, they're very very polished production. But there's something about the vocal, the lyrics, the melody. The whole thing yeah. is just a perfect record. Let's hear it. Lightning season pure. from records what about so what was the first gig or live event that you went to doesn't have to be cool you know no, this has got to be the first one <laughs> well onto the cool ones but let's be honest here what was the first about a year ago i put on facebook because uh they repeated a fall and leaves session for radio six and they played it back to back with a kinks 
at Shepherd's Bush Empire. And I thought that was the first show I ever went to. Yeah. However, in the course of my research for my memoir, I found a little bit before that, I was taken against my will <laughs> as a hostage to the Fulham Greyhound to sit on the floor surrounded by caftans and patchouli oil to see Stray. Well, I don't know. I don't know them. <laughs> You're speechless. I'm speechless. <laughs> Do you know Stray? No, I don't. They're a, they're a 70s rock band. They look like status quo. They sounded like God knows what. I don't know what I was doing there. I, I used to be friends with a lot, a lot of um, people from my brother's year. My brother was in the year above me at school. And because they would always be around our house, which was just like an open house all the time, I became friends with most of them. So I was hanging around with a lot of people who were a year older than me, or even two years, some of them. And so they might, they might have a car to, to go to the pub or go to a, a, a gig. That would be my introduction to it. I mean, I would have been barely 16. Yeah. So what did you think? Of very, very immature. How did you find the experience? Did it... Was it something you uh, I think I enjoyed the theatrics of it, you know, the whole thing of the band coming on and then going off and an encore. And I've, I've always liked the routine of a gig. Yeah. It's something I enjoy. I like getting there and then a support group. And then there's a kind of build-up yeah. uh, of atmosphere and tension leading to the main, the main act. And so I, I think I probably realized that there was a there was a kind of uh, set course for an evening but this sitting on the floor malarkey didn't <laughs> sit well with me i don't remember I, I don't remember if they stood up when the group came up yeah so then would you say that the kinks at the shepherd's bush empire is that your was that something that you that must have been about two three months later and what year was this sorry 73 75 75, oh, 75. yeah 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 so just 16. Thank you for the days Those endless days, those sacred days you gave me I'm thinking of the days I won't forget a single day, believe me I bless the light I bless the light that lights on you, believe me And though you're gone You're with me every single day, believe me Days I remember all my life Days when you can't see wrong from right You took my life But then I knew that very soon you'd leave me But it's alright I wish today would be tomorrow Life is dark, it just brings sorrow, let it wait Thank you for the days Those endless days, those sacred days you gave me I'm thinking of the days I won't forget a single day Remember all my life 
So, going back a little bit, do you remember something that, um, now getting into your own career as a musician, or a drummer, sorry. Um, <laughs> what, was there career? Something, was there something that inspired you to, what was the thing that, again, took you from that being a fan? Was there a, a record or an event or something that inspired you to actually want to form a band or want to, you want to get out and play? Well, and yeah, I mean, I... As I said earlier, there was no, no musicality in our household whatsoever. There was just nothing. No one played anything. There was a handful of singles and, and a couple of albums. The Lonnie Donegan single was left over from when my brothers had been at home. Um, and then I just saw The Who on Top of the Pops doing Join Together. And um, it was that Jews harp, that kind of gimmicky novelty sound, doing, 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 doing. That appealed to me, and then I ended up buying the single. And um, I think I might, I might have mentioned this before on one of your shows, but I turned it over, and it was a, a live version of Baby Don't You Do It, um, oh. which is an old Tamla Motown song. Yeah. And um, I thought it was dreadful. It was just a noise to me. Yeah. And so for a couple of years, I just kept playing the A-side, not constantly, you know, had to go to school. And then one day I flipped it over again and played the B-side, and I don't know what had changed in me, probably puberty. Um, I mean, it was a long track. <laughs> and suddenly this manic noise of Keith Moon keeping up a constant racket against Daltrey's vocals and the, and the guitar and the bass sort of trading lethal blows. It's, it's, it just, I just, I just thought I want to be a drummer as soon as I heard that track that time yeah but it wasn't the first time So then, you know, you went through, as we discussed in, your, in more depth in your our other Retrosonic podcast special with you, which you can check out as our SoundCloud archive, which is well worth a listen, where we go much more in, in depth into Buddy's musical career, uh, well worth listening, listening to. Um, so then you get into, let's go to the cause, which is obviously what you're probably most well known for. What would you say, we, I mean, musically and on record and that, what, was there something that you're really proud of as with the cause that you would um, you look back on and say, yeah, this is this is what I want well, to do? Well, I, I mean, I, I would have said the album so far away, but now I'd probably say the box set because that was a labour of love. <laughs> Steve's holding it up. If only you could, if only you could see this. It's back to front. <laughs> <laughs> um, took two and a half, best part of three years to 
notate and compile. Mm. And um, I'm just really pleased with it. I've just really peeved about the one typo in the booklet where the oh print has left two lines off the bottom of one page and it makes no sense. But um, sonically and the, the mastering was fantastic. The, yeah. It's the best, the best mastering I've ever attended. He yeah. was brilliant. That's a great Robbins. Yeah. I mean, you can really now, I mean, one of the questions is if someone was to ask you, oh, where do I start with the chords? Obviously now you've got the ready-made answer. You've got this great box set, which has got pretty much everything you recorded. Well, that's where you start and you finish. <laughs> much you don't need it. Would you stop holding it up? <laughs> I'm plugging it. It's an audio podcast, so maybe people can't see it, but obviously it is it's fantastic. You know, and it is here. The chords recordings with the, the pun recording spelled R-E- C H O R D I N G S, nineteen seventy eight to eighty one, and it's lovely, beautifully packaged. I mean, I know it's difficult; they're all your little babies. But um, pick a track, any track. Well, seeing as it's your show, I'm going to play my favourite chord song, and it's called "I'm Not Sure." And um, tell us a bit about that song, where it's from. Uh, I think it was written in the second batch of songs that Chris Pope came to the group with, um, along with Breaks My Heart and So Far Away. He did like a three-word title, Take Back Control, Get Brexit Done. So uh, now it's gone, (laughs) I'm not sure, Breaks My Heart. Um, So they were sort of demoed, but not played to death live. they were really fresh when we went to do the album. Um, I don't know how many takes we took, not many, but the drumming is probably a little bit too busy. It's probably a little bit too fast, same as the whole album, but uh, yeah, it's got its own charm. And with the chords, I mean, looking back, was there any real memorable gig or event that you, you performed at that, that you're really proud of? 
Feels like a long uh, we're, we're just coming up to the 40th anniversary of the Loch Lomond Festival. Oh. June the 21st, 1980. Still the only day that I've got drunk, sobered up, and got drunk again, and sobered up, and got drunk again, and, and then gone to bed. Um, I played, it was in front of 15,000 people wow. uh, on the banks of Loch Lomond. Uh, and it was topped by the jam, and then also on the bill were Stiff Little Fingers, Bad Manners, The Tourists, Us. And it was a memorable day for many reasons, not just the drunkenness. Um, first time we played outside, I think. And it's very difficult playing outside, especially during daylight hours. Um, it's hard to hear, you, hear each other on a big stage. This is long before in-ear monitoring or even effective monitoring systems. So yeah. it was a real struggle. We had no sound check. It was just go out there and do it. And I was wearing a kilt as well, which was the <laughs> first time I'd ever worn a kilt, and the last. And, of course, this was at the height of tribalism. So we had skinheads, punks, mods, rockers, hippies, grandmothers. Um, <laughs> all fighting. All fighting, especially the grandmothers. And every time the headline act, sorry, the act on stage changed, then the tribes would intermingle. It was a bit like India and Pakistan at partition, except more violent. <laughs> there were a fleet of ambulances taking people away. It was gruesome. They were throwing cutthroat razors. I mean, this was, was Glasgow yeah. in the 80s. It, it, was, it was a real battlefield. It wasn't, it wasn't that pleasant to play, but it was very memorable. Yeah, yeah, sounds like it. And um, so on, on the bill... That day you said there was the jams, two little fingers. You know, did you get to see any of these, the other bands? Did you get yeah, to see? I, I, I think we saw them all mm. um, between drinks. Um, I, I remember Billy went round, he had a programme, and he was getting everyone to sign it. Oh, right. And the, ni the nicest people were the tourists, believe it or not. Mm. We ended up at a wedding reception at the hotel, and I think Annie Lennox got up and sang a song while <laughs> we were nicking all the drinks off the tables. <laughs> And playing piggyback with each other. That's not a euphemism. <laughs> I, 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 it's a very long, very long day. Yeah, yeah. The longest day, literally. Yeah. And how did the chords go down? Did it, was, it, uh, was it a great gig for you as a band on the, on the bill? I don't think we played particularly well because of the sound problems. Um, but yeah, yeah, we went down well with our tribe. Mm. I, don't know what, I don't know what the skinheads who were there for bad manners made of it.
as a band with the cause, was there a particular gig where you really felt everything came together? I think the first time we supported the Undertones, which was at the Lyceum, and um, this was before the film Quadrophenia and before mod became a dirty word, because we were sort of the punkier end, mm. punk audiences absolutely loved us. Yeah. I mean, we would, we would do two, three encores as a support group to the undertones. Wow. Yeah. This, is, this, is, this is just before the worst of the violence and mm. skinheads beating up mods and mods beating up punks. So punks wouldn't even come to a chords gig after, after a while. But we, we supported them at the Lyceum and we played well, we went down a storm and then after I was up on the balcony watching the undertones with my girlfriend and I looked down and the whole of the Lyceum was jumping up and down as one. Yeah, yeah. It was incredible. And I said, look at that, that is amazing. And my girlfriend said it was exactly the same when you were playing. Oh, wow, fantastic. And that still makes the hairs on my arms stand up thinking yeah. about that. Because I'm at the back, I've got... I don't see much. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I guess that's, that's a shame for the drummer, isn't it? He's always stuck at the back, you know. <laughs> Often can't even see the front of the stage, let alone what's beyond it, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you've obviously had a great long relationship with the undertones. Again, we've discussed in our previous podcast with you. Um, are you were you a fan of the band as a, a, musically, or just um, do you like the music? Yeah, we, well, yeah, we, we all were, especially me and Billy. And um, we would do a lot of their songs at sound checks. Oh, would you really? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Especially my favourite was Get Over You, their second single. And oh, yeah. um, we played that We played that live at a, at a couple of shows, I think, as encores. They were good friends. Yeah. Fogel was always a little bit standoffish. Yeah, yeah. Because he was older. Oh, Get Over You, that's a, that's a great track. I think we'll slip that one in. Yes, please. Damien appeared at your 60th birthday at the 100 Club, the famous Budstock, yes. you know, which was fantastic to see you, uh, him playing along with you and Billy and, and the court, the rest of the, well, most of the courts. But uh, that was a great experience. That was a, that was a very special event, wasn't it? That must have, that, talking about memorable gigs, but again, we, you know, that, that, was, that was great. Budstock, I think that, that, that and the night that um, we did Terry Rawlins' benefit 
and I did a, a short set with Mick Jones of The Clash and Steve Diggle and Glenn Matlock. And I think we did six songs. That was th- those two events, that and Bloodstock would be the two things that I would take to my grave, yeah. Wow. So what songs did you play then? What the six songs? What what, what was this? Uh, we did we did Pretty Vacant. We did Should I Stay or Should I Go? We did All or Nothing. Mm. Um, I mean, they're all they're all on a video that I hope will come out one day. There's something on YouTube if you if you put in Terry Rawlins Benefit All Stars or something, you might find it. I have to check that out. And then and, and then and then to walk off stage, shake hands with everyone, and hand over to Mick Avery, who got up to play. You really got me. Oh. And he he didn't have any drumsticks, so he had to have my. I had to come back and give him my drumsticks. Have you got a specific favourite bit of memorabilia or sort of rock memorabilia that you picked up along the way or what, what, anything that you've been given or that you've acquired? Well, the drum skin that we've got signed by about 100 people now is, is not mine. Yeah. I'm the custodian, but it's going to be sold for charity. We're just waiting for a few more signatures. If yeah, you're listening, Bev Bevan. The bass drum um, lots of very famous people, drummers. And, um, only drummers. It's been a while now, hasn't it? I mean, are you sure you're not keeping hold of this a little bit? bit too no, long? no, no. I can, see it, I can see it framed on the back, on the on your wall there. <laughs> <laughs> it's in the basement, still in its box. Yeah, I mean, no, that it's is not... a fantastic thing, is it? Because, I mean, and you're raising money for the um, Kick Out the Barrel Charity only to, to for water. Roll, roll out the barrel. <laughs> Kick out the jams. Roll out, out the barrel. barrel. Roll out the barrel, motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a serious thing, though. It? It's all in a good cause, as they say. There's a yes. lot of for charity. Um, yeah, and that would all go to charity. And um, we, the photographer, Pete Stevens, is going to put together a booklet of all the people signing it. To, oh, to give uh, provenance and proof of authenticity. Um, so, yeah. you know, there's, you know, there's Clember, Rick Butler, Nick Mason, yeah. uh, everyone. Dave Ruffy. John Mayer of the Buzzcocks, I was there. Oh, I've yeah. got the proof of evidence of that one, yeah. 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 Fantastic. Well, that's, that's, that's great, you know. Um, but if, if it was something that I've got, hmm. it would be from the first night that I ever met Pete Townsend. Oh, really? Wow. Um, there I was, a pretentious tosser, walking around with a Franz Kafka novel in my pocket. <laughs> and um, Polydor got us tickets to go and see The Who at Lewis Shimodian. And uh, we were up in the balcony. And this was, I'm afraid, in the dark days of Kenny Jones. And it was just horrible. Mm. And I was obviously worse for wear, of course. And was shouting, give up, give up, you terrible rubbish. <laughs> And then left the, left the Odeon, and as we walked along the side, we saw the stage door open, and it almost unbelievably inveigled our way into the dressing room. Wow. No security, and just sat down in the dressing room. And I said, sat down next to Pete, and I said, here, Pete, did you hear that bloke up in the balcony shouting, give up? And he said, yeah, I did. I said, it was me. Oh, I know, I know. What a arrogant, horrible... Oh. Anyway, he didn't lamp me. Yeah. He, um, he was very, very charming, as he always has been, and a real gent. And he signed my book, um, Give Up Yourself, Pete Townsend. Give and up. I've still got that, obviously. Excellent. But I didn't take his advice. 
<laughs> he signed your Franz Kafka novel. Yeah. Fantastic. That's perfect. I'm talking of books. If it is during lockdown, I've been sort of going through my library of sort of my unread music books and things. And is there a, a, a music book that you'd recommend us to share? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to stay away from reading because I'm trying to write and because I'm such a sponge <laughs> and I'm so easily influenced. If I read something while I'm writing, I'm just going to try and copy that style. But um, the two books I would recommend, and I probably have before, is Boy About Town by Tony Fletcher, which is just the best book I've ever read about growing up and music together those two things but then somebody sent me um thank you carl somebody sent me a book called Britpop: my part in its downfall by luke haynes of the autairs oh yeah um yeah, that's good which is absolutely hysterical he yeah. sabotages his own career yeah. what he's got to say about people like matt johnson of the the and uh what's the what's the ginger-headed dj called chris chris evans yeah yeah, what he says about him is yeah, unrepeatable here. Yeah. It's fantastic. It's, it's a great, great read. And um, I also like the style of it. It's, it's going to be an influence on my book. So yeah. please play something by the Autaires. We can do that. We can please play um, New French Girlfriend. on books and that and um what you've been reading but you've also been been still writing your memoirs yeah really badly really slowly because I, I, i tend to write and then i go back the next day and just spend two hours editing what i've just written i'm like a dog with a bone i want it to be as as near damn perfect to what i want it to be yeah i won't i won't let it go out 
um, until I'm really happy with it. So you're not I've, I've, only, I've, only, I've only written about one evening so far. Yeah. <laughs> you're still up to the world, it's soon, listening to David Bowie. I haven't even got to that yet. <laughs> <laughs> well, I noticed there was another um, book on the chords has just been published, hasn't it? Oh, yeah. A, a chap called Ray Butler uh, contacted me and said, would I have any objection if he put together a book on the chords to celebrate 40 years of So Far Away being released? which was this month, 40 years ago, May. Um, and he's done a really good job. He's got so many people, so many quotes, pictures, tickets, memorabilia. Um, I haven't seen it. I don't know what people have written. I'm not really contributing to it, but Billy's written something. Martin has. Kip hasn't because he's too lazy. There's a rumour that Chris is going to explain some of his lyrics, which yeah. would be a first, because I don't know what they're about. So, so this that would be an exclusive. Fans. Is this the fans writing about? There's fans, there's producers. Yeah. Um, hopefully there's no one-night stands going to reveal all my drug hell with <laughs> Buddy Ascot. Yeah. Obviously, because those things just never happened. And that's actually out now, is it? That's actually out now. No, I think it's coming out in September. I think it's going to be self-published, and he's taking orders for it. But there's a Facebook page. It's called Remembering the Chords. Fantastic. Well, we look forward to that. Something to read during lockdown if we're still stuck at home. Talk to me about your friends. Now see the truth can bend. I try to make you understand. What about the books I've read? All the things I left unsaid. I try to make you understand. to hear my story of blood and tears with tunes of glory a place we hold so dear so bright it seems unclear too far but oh so near I thought there would be so much
always thought there'd be so much more. You're currently playing drums with the Fallen Leaves, one of our all-time favourite bands. I am, I am really missing drumming. I was going to say, how are you keep as a band or as a member of a band? How are you keeping things sort of ticking over? I mean, what? Because it's well, it's obviously, busy. you've been in a rehearsal room. You know, it's a, 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 a breeding ground for the very worst bacteria, <laughs> norovirus. I mean, coronavirus would have a field day at some of the studios we rehearse at. So they're all closed. And obviously we're, we're not getting together because yeah. we don't live in the same house. This is not the Beatles and, um, or the monkeys. <laughs> um, so I don't know. I think Rob has done some writing, Rob Green. Um, I'm practice occasionally when I'm watching TV on a little drum pad, but I'm not, I can't play drums at home. You've seen me. Yeah. You've yeah. heard me. <laughs> no, I, I, I am really missing that catharsis. And the only thing that comes close is um, going for a long, fast walk with the iPod, iPad, iPod on, yeah. on shuffle and just see what comes and yeah. get into music. By the way, um, uh, there's a little experiment for all listeners. There's a song called Modern Man by Arcade Fire. Great song from the album The Suburbs, which I think you're going to play. Something happens in the rhythm of it. So if you put it on loud in your room, don't, you haven't got to go out and put it on your iPod. Start off with the bass drum on your right foot and the snare drum on your left foot. It's a simple... That, that pace, that tempo. So it's just... And try and keep that going and something happens and oh. it will make you trip over. Okay, well, that's, that's, that's a good thing to keep people occupied then. <laughs> Let's hear the track. Honestly, it's uh, it's <laughs> more difficult than it sounds yeah. on first hearing. So the right. bass drum on your right foot, snare drum on your left foot. Well, let's hear it, and then everyone can um, can play along. <laughs>
So how is the fall of leaves then? Are you what's I mean? Are you, are you in discussions as a band about what you're going to do? Or is there any? Are you, are you, well, we've we've had, we've had to cancel shows. Yeah, no, we've we've cancelled shows in Manchester and Middlesbrough and London. Um, I've had to cancel shows with the Seventy Niners uh, in the Channel Islands and Weymouth. It's a big scooter rally. Um, this is one of the things that I'm finding very difficult to cope with. Is that all the things that I love? All the things that I love and look forward to, yeah. which is travel, playing, rehearsing, uh, recording. These will be the last things to come back um, long yeah. after shops and restaurants. Standing venues, I mean, they might not open for another year. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, this is the sad thing, isn't it, for, for, for bands and, and venues, small venues. Obviously, we, we spend most of our time in small venues, you know. Um, it's, it's gonna it's gonna be take a long a long time to to get out of the woods. I think you know. Let's hope uh, it will come back soon. You know, and you can get out there to do what you do best: play the drums. Yeah, thank you. Best. Oh, I've been making my own beer as well. Oh right. Okay. <laughs> I, 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 I I bottled the second batch today, which is a Mexican lager. Oh blimey! What with adding so, mezcal and. Just I got, I got some. I couldn't get the uh, little grubs, so I just dug up some worms and put one in each bottle. <laughs> It should be all right, shouldn't it? <laughs> but yeah, I'll, I'll save one for you. And um, um, yeah, yeah, th- thanks, mate. Yeah. Um, no, no, it'll be. Yeah, listen, the, the ale I made before was great. Right. Okay. Good. I haven't gone blind yet. Anyway, I look forward to that. So, what else have you been listening to during lockdown, buddy? Anything you want to play out with? Well, like most people, I've been revisiting the back catalogue and ordering music to arrive online because. Obviously, we can't go out, and there are no record shops anyway. Um, and I was very pleasantly surprised uh, by getting the remastered LAMF, Johnny Thunders and the Heartbreakers album. Oh, right. Okay. Because I, I, I saw them back in 77 a couple of times, and then saw Johnny Thunders in Paris in 78 when we were there, The Meat. I was playing in a punk band. Yeah. And I, I remember buying the original album on track, and it was, it was such a terrible mix. It was almost unplayable. And they've remixed it, and it sounds brilliant.
and also dodgy sort of revisited some dodgy albums i also i, I got to meet matthew priest just before the lockdown because he signed the drum skin and um i'd forgotten what a fantastic drummer he is yeah you know the song in a room i don't know to be honest very well. I know the band. Well, it's a very apt title for where <laughs> we all are in a room. Good. <laughs> good. Good choice. Well, thank you, buddy. That's uh, it's been great talking to you and uh, appreciate taking the time to have a chat. And um, don't forget, everybody, you can check out um, the full track listing at www.retrogrog.com where I've got links to all stuff that buddy's been talking about. And um, good luck with the, uh, the lockdown. See you on Thank the you. Uh, I'll save that Mexican lager for you. <laughs> I look forward to it, mate. Thanks very much indeed. Cheers, Steve. Thanks. guinea pig <laughs> did you ever have guinea pigs no we had a hamster yeah guinea pigs make a very strange noise especially when they get sexually aroused really <laughs> what <Well, I> d- <laughs> it's like <laughs> well, actually that's 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 on my third question actually oh is it yeah which animal gets you sexually aroused no no it doesn't get me sexually aroused